you know, at a concert, you have your, uh, your opening act, and then you have your headliner act, right? Your headline today, the headliner is not me. Pastor Rick is our headliner, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say to us here in just a little bit. And he's going to actually interview some people and share his charge with us. But today I get to share with you a couple things, um, and it's, it's altogether fitting that we would do that, right? Give him an opportunity to share his final charge to us uh, because he has faithfully served Mosaic for all these years. Um, but the elders felt like, wait a minute, this is Palm Sunday. This is a special event in the Christian calendar, and we ought to do something that recognizes that. So I'm going to just share a brief devotional here before I hand it over to Rick, and uh, he interviews uh, a beautiful family here in just a little bit, and then share some words. What I'd like you to do is is this: look in your Bible, open your Bible to Mark chapter 11. Mark is the kind of kind of guy. He moves real quick through Jesus's life. Only 16 chapters. Some people think that that was the kind of the original of the synoptic gospels, including Matthew and Luke. But uh, he moves right through, and already in chapter 11, Jesus is coming into town, right? In fact, every version of, of the gospels talks about, in what is called, at least in my NIV study Bible, the triumphal entry, triumphant entry. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, event And the reason I, well, I'll I'll explain the reason. Triumphantly pursuing the cross. Let's read from verse 1 of Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, just like Jesus had said, right? As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, or save, or God saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. God saves the God who is in heaven. He saves as they're looking at Jesus. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This was a Sunday afternoon about 2,010 years ago. And Mark chose to capture this event. And the question is, why call it a, a triumphant entry? Why celebrate the fact that Jesus rode into town on a donkey, looked around, turned, and left to go back to the town where he came from. Boom, that was it. In very frank terms, what's so triumphant about that? Especially when we know what's going to happen just five days later on Friday. Well, there's just a couple things I want you to take note of from this passage. Number one, notice how Jesus chose to come into town. We all know it was on a colt, a a young donkey. He got on that, and uh, the question is, what's so significant about that? Number one, Jesus in that very act, and I should have had my little thingy thingy. Can we go to the next slide? 
I'm sorry about that. I always do this. I get up here and I forget to have the little switchy switch. So here he is, Bethany's further down to the right. He comes up uh, to Bethphage, and that's where he says, you're going to find a little, uh, that donkey there, and then he's going to ride down from the Mount of Olives there at the top, uh, uh, down into Jerusalem. And uh, number one, Jesus is, is, by virtue of that, is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah from 500 years before his, uh, before his birth. In fact, Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Over this last four or five days of his life, Jesus is going to fulfill many prophecies, including this one right here, where Jesus enters Jerusalem, not on a white stallion, but the foal, a small donkey. Secondly, it represents him as connecting to the common person of his day. It would be like Bill Gates coming into Lynchburg this afternoon, and instead of a stretch Mercedes limousine that's a 2021, he comes in a 2005 Chevy Malibu, and he gets out, and the windows aren't even tinted. Right? That would be like, what gives? That doesn't make any sense. Bill Gates ought to come in, right? That's, that's what it's about. But Jesus doesn't do that. He comes in on a donkey, just a regular old donkey, probably what the kids rode into town, right? That's what they would have done. Jesus wasn't born, interestingly enough, into a Roman senator's family. He wasn't the Caesar's kid of the Romans' day. He was born into a carpenter's family, a regular Joe. His mom was probably just a housewife, not just, I'm sorry, gee whiz. Mom, Mary was a, probably a housewife. He was a regular person. He can relate to you and me. He wasn't way up here and we're down here. Jesus was just a regular guy. Thank you so much for advancing that. I appreciate it. You want to keep going? And the next one. But not only that, not only can he relate to us in our own experience, and that's what's symbolic of, of him coming in the, on on a donkey. But secondly, it represented that he was a king that came in peace and humility. You know, he could have said to his disciples, you know what, when we get up to Bethphage, up there on the hill, there's a guy, and he's kind of rich, and he's got a black stallion. Actually, you know what, get the white stallion, I'm the good guy. In fact, put some battle armor on it, he's got a sword, why don't we take that, and that's what I'm going to come into Jerusalem like, right? On a beautiful, big, white stallion, and and I'm going to run into town, the conquering hero, the Messiah. But he didn't do that. He chose to come in on a donkey. And symbolically in that day, that was Jesus' way of saying, I come in peace, not war. I am the conquering hero, but not the kind that you think I am. I'm not the political messianic hope for Jerusalem. I'm a totally different kind of hope for Jerusalem and all Gentiles. And that's what I bring to the table. I come in humility, in peace, and I come with grace. So far from the seemingly insignificant part of the story, we see the bigger picture that Jesus is the prophecy-fulfilling Savior, fulfilling prophecies that were centuries old. He is the great and mighty King of the universe who still chooses to relate to us right where we're at as regular old people. 
And third, he is the gentle Lord of all who comes in humility, love, and peace. Next slide. Jesus actually says this about himself, and I love this. In Revelations 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. I stand, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I stand at the door and knock. I don't come busting into your door, right? I stand and I knock gently, wooing you winsomely with my love. That's who I am. I'm the pursuing God, but I wait there for you. I, I wait there for you. I wait there for you, reminding you of my love for you. That's the Jesus we love. And lastly, this Palm Sunday, I see a resolute Jesus determined to obediently lay down his life as the perfect atoning sacrificial lamb of God from a motivation of love for his precious children who are lost. That's you and me. Do you see resolute Jesus there? Let me read verse 1 again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples forward. But at that point, when he gets to the top of that hill, Amon Olives, he looks down and he sees Jerusalem. Do you ever have one of those times, those path on the roads, and it's like, do I go this way or that way? Do I pursue this major or this major? Do I choose to marry this person or not? Do I go to this mission field or not? Do I take this job or not? What do, what do you want me to do, Lord? You have those situations where it's, I don't know what to do. It's a big decision. Sometimes it's pursuing people in love that are very hard to love, but you choose pursue in love anyway. That was Jesus' path at the top of that hill. When he got to Mount of Olives, he could have said, what am I doing here? I don't want this. He'd be getting the same Jesus who could see that that colt was waiting for him down the road in the village. Jesus could also look out and see that before him, over the next several days, lay before him the betrayal of one of his closest friends. He saw that there would be torture of unimaginable proportions. He could see humiliation. He knew that it would look like this, right? He saw that. He knew that. That he would be hung on a cross as a common criminal and he would be naked for all to see as a common criminal. The, the king of the universe. He could see that. But that, wasn't the, that was small potatoes compared to the worst of it. Because he knew that with that came God's wrath. He would be, receive the full amount, the full payment of all of our sins. And he saw that and knew that. And at that point, he could have said, let those turkeys roast, right? Why am I going to take your sin on me? Why am I going to suffer like that? What's the point of that? Why do I have to do that? All y'all pay for your own sins, right? In southern ease. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? He stepped forward. He went down the Mount of Olives, and yes, there were accolades that day for him, and people laid down their palm branches, and they said, Hosanna, that's great. But he could see the rest of the story, right? He could see down the road just a couple days as to what was going to happen. And still, he pursued us. The question is why. Why did Jesus pursue us? It's because he loved us, right? He loved us. And I'm going to say this in a, in a way that hopefully you can hear. He loved us. Right? Now, here's what, what, what I 
really starts to bug me. We say, I love you. As a flippant sort of salutation little thing that we say, love you. I love you guys. Right? I love you ladies. Hey, I love you. But where does it look like the sacrificial, uncompromising, incredible depth of love that Jesus had for us? When does it look like that? I, 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 get, I get tired of a saying, I love you, that means that has no commitment behind it, that has no teeth to it, that means very little. So can we just say, let's stop the I love you stuff? That doesn't mean much. Jesus, on the other hand, loved us. He stepped forward and said, I'm going to pursue you because I am deeply for you. I am madly, wildly, deeply in love with you because you're my kids. And I will not give up even though it's going to cost me plenty. Even though I'm going to have to sacrifice, I'm going to have to experience the full love of the Father on me because of your sin. I'm taking your sin on me. You're getting my perfect righteousness. But I'm going to do it because I love you. Now that's love. None of this toothless love, this low commitment love that we say to each other, that we espouse to each other, that means the Hollywood thing that says, I, I like you today until I don't. I'll say nice things to you in front of your face until you're no longer in the room, right? That's not love. Let's talk real love. And as Christians, as believers, and I'm hoping most of you know the love of the Savior here, we ought to be the ones who, when we say, I love you, we mean it because we've experienced deep and abiding love, right? Deep, mad, crazy love for our souls. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's what Jesus said just a couple days later. He said in, in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what he did. Paul takes it even further in many respects because I think, I think he sees that even more. He says in Romans 5, he says, For just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. He died for the ungodly. Not we were his buddies who were doing nice things for him. He died for us when we were saying, giving him the middle finger and saying, I screw you, God. That's when he loved us. That's when he pursued us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love, love, love for us, right? The real love, the robust love, the winsome love, the committed love to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So on this Palm Sunday is we prepare our hearts for Easter next Sunday. That's the Jesus we worship. Yes, who was meek and mild on our behalf, but who loves me and you with grit and determination and power, even while we were rebellious sinners. May we begin to start loving others in that same way that we have been loved, right? And in so doing, because love is transformative, right? In so doing, turn our relationships and this world who desperately loves Love desperately wants that upside down. And that's a brief Palm Sunday devotional that I hope meets you where you're at this morning. Let me just briefly pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to to Pastor Rick. Father, we do thank you uh, that you loved us. You did not turn around at the top of Mount Olives. You came down. 
you came down and you pursued us triumphantly with your love. Thank you that you did not give up on us, that you didn't turn around. Father, we are so grateful for your love. Where would we be without you? We would have no hope. But in you, in Christ, we have hope. We have joy. I pray that we would live out of that. We would love others in our world and our family and those around us with your great love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.